Welcome to another session of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. My special guest this week is Tim O'Reilly, a longtime friend who always has interesting things to share with me. Um, not just tools, but other stuff as well. But today we're going to talk about some of Tim's favorite tools. So Tim, um, would you please introduce yourself to uh, our audience? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm uh, the founder and CEO of a company called O'Reilly Media. We are well known in the computer industry as a, a book publisher, although for the last couple of decades, our principal business has been uh, really an online learning platform uh, at O'Reilly.com, uh, which has things like live training, interactive, uh, you know, Jupyter notebooks, uh, uh, live video training uh, courses, um you know, uh, and then of course the tens of thousands of eBooks, it, it's mostly sold as a corporate subscription, but, uh, we do, uh, also make it available, uh, to individuals, but anyway, but that's, you know, that's not what we're talking about today. I think I would be talking about my cool, uh, uh, programming tools, but no, instead we're going to, we're up at, I'm up at a cabin, uh, uh, in the Sierras that, uh, I bought this, this spring. And I've been doing a lot of uh, clearing of brush for fire purposes. In fact, there's a fire just started uh, about 10 miles away today. Fortunately, they got it, nipped it in the bud. Uh, or we might be uh, not be here. <laughs> we might be evacuating. <laughs> um, uh, but I've been having to clear a lot of brush around the house. Uh, is basically, if you look out, I think you should be able to see there's uh, a lot of trees. And... Uh, uh, they're too close to the house. I've, I've actually cleared a lot already, uh, but I have an array of chainsaws <laughs> uh, to uh, do the clearing and also some wonderful uh, sort of gear uh, loppers, which uh, I'm going to show you. And the thing that's really kind of fun is I started clearing for fire purposes, but then I realized, oh, well, th the same thing that uh, um, is good for fire also makes the place more beautiful. Like we're really close to the river. And as you can kind of see, uh, the more of that brush, uh, you're gonna be able to see more of the river. And uh, that 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 brush is is, is fire dangerous. And I'm having a, actually a crew come in to do uh, a whole clearing along the driveway. Uh, they were I couldn't schedule them uh, already, or it would have been done bef before fire season rather than in the middle of it. But um, anyway, it's kind of wonderful because. Uh, I've had an electric chainsaw for a couple of years, but I haven't used it so much. And now I've actually gone back to getting a gas chainsaw as well because I'm using it frequently enough and they're more powerful. But the beauty of the electric chainsaws is that uh, if you don't use it that often, uh, you know, you know, a gas chainsaw just you know, is almost impossible to start. You know, my steel uh, I was been away for about a month and, and, you know, I, I took me about 10 minutes to get started yesterday. And today it's still sort of being a recalcitrant, like, uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's mule Modestine in, uh, you know, in travels with a donkey or actually his donkey in the travels with a donkey. Um, uh, whereas the electric chainsaw just always works. And there's a variety of them. I have a, a real small handheld one, a mid-sized one and a pole saw. And uh, they're all super handy. Are any of them, uh, have you tried the cordless ones yet? Oh, yeah. These are all cordless. 
Oh, these are all cordless. Okay. Well, sh yeah. sh sh show us, show us one of them. So this is the one I use the most. Ah, wow. In the, in the view. Yeah. Uh, just press the button on the back. Wow. How long will that run for? How long will it run for on a battery? Uh, maybe an hour. That's and pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the thing that's really nice is that the batteries are interchangeable. I, you don't have to have, I have two batteries for a bunch of tools. So you just click it, pull it out. Um, this is the one that I really love. What, what kind was that, um, Tim? What was the brand or the model? Oh, oh sorry. These are uh, these are Greenworks Pro. Okay. But uh, and they're all so I've gotten all the same brand. You can see this one is a little short chainsaw. Oh wow! On the end of a long pole, and that's great for doing what they call limbing up. You know, uh, when you you have a tall tree uh, with low hanging branches, uh, basically fires propagate in the sierra through uh grass often i mean again they can start anywhere but if they start in grass for example then they'll ignite uh you know brush and then they'll ignite low limbs so one of the things you do in fire protection is you take out the low brush for example you take out the pines that are growing up among the the oaks but then you also have to limb up the trees that remain so that the, the, the lowest limbs are maybe a dozen feet high because uh, that that makes it much safer so uh, that's great. The one thing I, uh, the one tool of theirs that I'm really disappointed in is this little one. Uh, first of all, it has a, a non, an incompatible battery. Could you put up higher? Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, okay. one, this, this little one I thought would be great for, you know, cutting off limbs because, you know, you cut a, a small tree and then you've got to, um, you know, cut off the branches uh, and so on. But it, it um, and it, it, I thought it'd be the same. It's a, it's a 10 inch, just like the uh, the one on the end of the pole. But the one on the end of the pole cuts like butter. And this one cuts like a dull knife. And it's been sharpened. I don't quite understand what the difference is. Uh, this one is a disappointment, the little 10 inch hand one. The thing that also has been a wonderful discovery are these Fiskars Power Gear 2 geared loppers. Yeah. You see the little gear there in the middle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just so powerful. Let me let me actually pull up a, a little. I basically thought, well, I'll do a little clearing this morning uh, in preparation for cool tools. I hung a hammock the other day, and there was a small pine tree that was on, in the middle of the path that I wanted to go to where I hung the hammock between two oaks. And so I cut out the pine tree with the, the, cha the first chainsaw I showed you. It's about maybe uh, four inches thick at the at the base and then I cut it into pieces and I brought one of the pieces up here and uh, I'm just going to grab it. Here's the piece I saved. <laughs> you can kind of see and, and watch this. So it has about like a two and a half inch diameter. Yeah. And, and I watched this with the small hand chainsaw and it's pretty slow. Just careful. So that's really disappointing. I mean, if I did it with the with the bigger one, which I don't want to do one-handed uh, and show you, yeah. it, you wouldn't be too happy. But watch how well this lopper will do it. Yeah. That's a cool tool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, 
we had a, a, a pair of loppers before, you know, some long handle loppers and, uh, and my wife you know, broke, broke it trying to cut something too thick. This thing will cut anything up to two inches. I mean, if wood is, is like, uh, you know, de a dead dry piece of oak, you know, no. But uh, for, for, for so much of what you're doing, it's so much the fastest way to cut up, uh, you know, and you, you got to, when you, you take these things out, you got to cut off in small pieces. And so, uh, so that's, anyway. a, is that, a, that's a Fisker, Fiskar? Yeah, Fiskars. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of see, I, I think the, uh, it's called ultra, uh, it says ultra blade and it's Fiskars L5532. Okay. And, and you can get them for about 44 bucks at Ace Hardware. Okay. That's really great. So that's two great uh, cool tools. Uh, do you have another? Oh, wait. I have to show you this. I really should for the chainsaw. If you're doing much of chainsawing, you need a pair of these Kevlar uh, overalls. I didn't wear them uh, while uh, demoing, but I probably should have because they will basically stop the blade if you accidentally, you know, cut it... through something. And but I'm also wearing. What about your uh, your torso? Is it just a well? If you're doing overhead stuff, you might have a risk of that. But mainly, your risk is you're cutting through something and you're going to hit your leg. I see. Uh, that's why I'm also wearing a pair of uh, steel-toed boots. Uh huh. For the same reason. Um. So you, you really do, you know, it's just a safety thing. Um. So anyway, that's that's the, some of the the uh the, the wood trimming. Uh, part of, of my current life. Um, <laughs> it also it will, will double as your gym. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, we had a very funny thing uh, where uh, uh, my wife was uh, not with me when I was doing some initial clearing. There's another amazing tool I have that we'll maybe have to talk about another time called a puller bear, which is a giant wrench for pulling uh Scotch broom out of the oh, yeah, and yeah. other, other kinds uh -huh. of trees. And we were clearing a whole acre of, of Scotch broom for to make a campsite. And uh, uh, I posted some Instagrams of before and after and all the giant piles of Scotch broom. And my uh, uh, my my mother-in-law uh, said, Jen, it looks like you, you missed going to the gulag. <laughs> 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 and so we've been referring to this place as the gulag ever since because uh, there is an amazing, you know, the work never stops. Right, right, and, and it's great. I lost about ten pounds <laughs> uh, when we first were. I was first clearing. I was spending ten, twelve hours a day, uh, just you know, in in the spring, uh, you know, clearing brush because the house had been kind of neglected. Anyway, right. it's fun. It's it's uh it's it's the kind of of uh, daily life uh, that um, yeah, and it's funny because uh, the. Uh, uh, there's a wonderful story by Chekhov uh, called Gooseberries, uh, which is really a story about the ambiguous nature of happiness. You know, the, the title comes from this guy uh, who, who always wanted to retire and grow gooseberries. And his brother, you know, goes, they were sour and thin, but they made him so happy. And I don't <laughs> quite get it. But there's this. Uh, 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 so he had, this guy has this big rant about the ambiguous nature of happiness. But there's also earlier in the story, there's this incredible expression of joy. They go to uh, these two Russian aristocrats. Of course, Chekhov was a Russian aristocrat and uh, quite wealthy, and but but felt the burden of that, you know, the inequality, just like we have today. 
and uh, you know he endowed hospitals. He was really into you know what do we do to help the lot of other people, and so the, the story in a lot of ways is about the responsibility of, of this. But he's out walking in the rain, and they go to visit another aristocrat who's kind of moved in with his serfs and is working in the fields with them. Uh, and this guy says, oh, "I haven't bathed. You know, let's go have a swim." And they go swimming in the river, and uh, this this guy just. There's this wonderful expression of joy of swimming. And that's actually, uh, we, we actually call this, this cabin that we bought gooseberries as a result of that story, both as a reminder of the, of the you know, uh, the privilege of, you know, <laughs> that it, it expresses, but also just that, that joy, you know, so it's the joy and the work go together, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh I, before I leave this i show you one more uh, of the of the greenworks tools just right here i don't know if you can see it right there on the ground and that's the leaf blower which uses the same uh batteries okay and uh there's also a weed whacker and a you know hedge trimmer and so on so it's a really great set of of cordless tools i have pretty much all of them <laughs> well and they all use that same very large battery yeah um yeah that's that's really great yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah. but jumping ahead to, to uh, swimming, uh, you know, one of the other things uh, that uh, I wanted to show you were, was is my, my goggles for swimming. Uh, I always like uh, to swim with goggles because I, 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 maybe it was growing up nearsighted. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I treasure being able to see, you mm -hmm. know, I had, I, I had uh, LASIK, you know, maybe 15 years ago and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but anyway, I, I love being able to see underwater. And so I, I, I take these goggles with me everywhere. And I'm going to show you two pairs. Uh, the goggles that I found that are far and away the best are, are these. Uh, they're called Vista. Vista goggles. I'm going to put this on. This is my old pair that are kind of, they're starting to look a little, uh, you can see this, the, the uh, maybe you can't see, but they're a little scratched and the visibility isn't so good. But I recently got a pair of Vista Pro which have a slightly different pattern. They actually have, uh, you know, a clearer space. The lens goes all the way across. And these ones are even better. They're super watertight. You can see beautifully. Uh, they're not your normal little tiny swimming goggles, uh, but I find that they're the most leak-proof and best visibility of any goggles I've ever tried. Do so, they come with a prescription option? I don't know. I've never gotten the prescription option because uh, I don't need it anymore, but uh, they, they may. Uh, um, but anyway, I, I take them with me and you never know when you're going to want to swim. <laughs> you know, uh, my wife and I were in, uh, in uh, Sicily uh, earlier this year and I just happened to have them in my bag because I keep them in the bag all the time. And turned out the water was much warmer than we expected. And so we, we went swimming off the rocks every day in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad I had them because it was just the light in the Mediterranean and the fish. It was fantastic snorkeling. Yeah, by the way, it's just to me, I use I don't ever use a snorkel because, you know, you can breathe just as well come up for air. Uh, you know, so a, pair, a small pair of goggles is, is so much better than a big, big mask and, and snorkel outfit. Anyway. Um, so those are called Vista again. The, the the model was a Vista. Yeah, and the one I'm liking the bat, bat even better is the new ones I just got, which are Vista Pro. Vista Pros. Okay, we'll have a link to that. That's a great. That's a great tip. I like yeah, the idea I, of always carrying it with you. Just put it in your luggage somewhere, and always. Yeah, have exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like I keep 
you know, it's funny. I have a, you know, since I travel a lot for business, I, I, I have most of my suitcases full of, of, of sort of the regular things. And I put in a few clothes, you know, <laughs> I, I have, what, I have a small, what are your, bag. what are your regular things? Like, like your, you have your swim mask. And I have a pair of running shorts and, okay. and, uh, I have a, a a knee brace and an ankle brace in case I, you know, my, my knees or ankles get get wonky. Getting since I'm getting older and running is not always the the best. I uh, I have uh, uh, I have something called Gan Mao Ling, which is a Chinese herb, which is great if you ever feel the cold coming on, and and and, and black elderberry capsules. I keep those with me all the time. Uh, I uh, but I also have like a light blanket because you go to most hotels these days and all they have are, are, are heavy comforters, you know? So I bring my own blanket. I got tired of, of asking, you know, at the hotel, can you bring me a light blanket? And then half the time, all they do is bring you another comforter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, cause I, you know, I, I, I sleep very hot and I don't want something heavy. And, uh, what else do I have in there? Uh, I, uh, depending on where I'm going, I may bring my pillow. And so there's not much room for clothes by the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you probably have like chargers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's all. Well, that usually lives in my. I have you know my my backpack, which is my laptop bag. Yeah, has all the that stuff in it. Okay. Um. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, you know it's it's great. You know I still only take a carry on, but you can usually get enough in there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I only kept carry on as well. Yeah, uh, and it, you know, it's just if you're all ready. I also have, I guess, I have clothes for sleeping. I have, you know, you know, a pair of boxers and a t-shirt that are my sleep clothes. And so everything's ready to go. And all I have to do is say, okay, well, what am I doing on this trip? What clothes do I need? And I add two or three things, some underwear and socks, and I'm done. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a a, a bag that's always packed too, with duplicates of things if if necessary. Yeah, uh, I have a hat because I'm bald and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Speaking of hats, man, uh, the, I've, I've, for years, I've used the Tilly hemp hat. Yeah. Lost several of them. Uh, you know, one blew off on Lake Powell once and sank. Uh, <laughs> that goes a long way down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but mostly, uh, anyway, what was the reason I was, I'm so disappointed. I was going to get another one. You know, so I could have one in Oakland and uh, one up here in the Sierras, and then the Tilly hemp hat is no longer. Uh, it doesn't have as big a brim. The new one is much smaller brim. That's oh. no good. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I have a Tilly, but I'm not sure it's the hemp. It's uh, and I have lost it once in the Galapagos uh, off the boat. Um, that seems to be the common occurrence. <laughs> it just goes <laughs> into the water. And you're you're sunk. Um, so do you have another uh, tool that you want to share? Well, there's one that is, uh, I'm not going to show it to you, but I'm going to okay. tell you about it. And that's Starlink. Ah, uh, when yeah. When we first bought um, this cabin, there was, there's no internet, there's no phone service here. And uh, being able to get Starlink means that we can effectively be here whenever we want. We thought we'd come up occasionally as a way mm -hmm. of, getting away from everything. Uh, but now, you know, I'm able to do an event like this from literally the middle of nowhere. So you're going through Starlink right now then? That's right. We're, go we're having this conversation because of Starlink. And 
what so, so t- tell me some specifics like um it's not 100 percent because there's a little bit you're chopping occasionally but what kind of bandwidth do you get and oh, how bandwidth is fantastic i mean the, the reason we're getting a little choppy is i'm outside okay. uh, on the deck and it's not great receptivity here we actually uh there's a you know antenna up on the roof which is beautiful to sight you know you kind of look at the star field and you hold your camera up and it looks looks at the visibility it was a, a big tree actually you can kind of see uh the stump right over there do you see that stump yeah yeah right next to the house and it was blocking the view of the sky okay and a, and a neighbor who's a logger took that that was a little, that one's a little big for me it was about 100 100 feet high and uh you know uh next to the house <laughs> with his big chainsaw and took it up and took it down and bucked it up um but uh, I had to get that cleared out to get the clear view of the sky. Anyway, uh, my wife and I have both have, have done two zooms at, a, at the same time with no problem. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if I weren't here, it, it's also fantastic because if you have, I don't know if it works as well with Android, but I mean, with, with, with Apple, but with Android, uh, we, we get, you know, uh, phone calling, Wi-Fi calling and Wi-Fi texting uh, with no problem. Uh, I'm not sure it doesn't seem to work with, with uh, Apple as well. Okay. And um, what what were the costs involved and was there a long waiting list and how, how, how did that work out? There is a long waiting list. And uh, I, I don't remember. I think the cost of the equipment is about $500 and it's about $100 a month. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and um, does it require uh a power to the antenna uh yeah the, the basically uh you you know you plug in the base station there's a cord that goes you know we had to I'd drill a, 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 a hole through the wall and up to the roof you know and, and lay lay the wire um the the power is an interesting thing here because again being out remote um the um uh, power goes out frequently. In fact, we had a, a bit of a scare one of the first times we were up here, you know, in the beginning of fire season, there was a pretty big fire. We learned about the fire and they cut off the power just as we were learning about it. And, you know, suddenly we were cut off and we didn't know anything about what, what should we do? The nearest cell service is about a 15 minute drive um, up out of the Canyon. Uh, there, there's citizen band radio that they use for the, for the, for the, for the Canyon. Uh-huh. Uh, to, you know, for people to get alerts and things, but uh, but when the Starlink went out, suddenly we were cut off, and so one of the things we immediately did was we went out and bought a uh, uh, a, a big backup battery. Uh, we got something from a company called One Zero or Goal Zero. Take it back, and uh, it comes with you buy, can buy some big solar panels for it, so you can charge it from the wall, but you can also charge it from uh, the solar panels. So having a backup battery that's good to keep it's basically so we can keep the internet up because if there is a fire we need to stay informed and that's probably you know one of the biggest things that we need to do right so 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 that's now running off of solar you solar to the battery well, well the, 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 no the backup battery is 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 just sitting there if we oh, need it right now it's plugged into the wall yeah. uh, but if it goes out you know we just uh, the backup battery is heavy enough that we're not going to haul it upstairs to where the, the starlink is Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we, you know, we, I just got a long extension cord so we can run it from the battery upstairs and then we can just put the solar panels out on the uh, porch to, to charge, recharge the thing. Uh-huh. 
Cool. So you recommend the Starlink then? Oh, uh, incredible. Yeah. I mean, again, would I recommend it if I lived in, in um, you know, in, in, for, for a house in town? Probably not. Um, you know, we, we have we have Sonic in Oakland and uh, and we're quite happy with that. But for a place like this, it's a game changer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, that, you know, we have uh, we know some people here, you know, the place that you and I went camping last year, which is how we found this place. The woman who owned that had very, very slow Internet from, you know, the previous uh, generation of satellite Internet from Usenet. And uh, it's about the same cost and a fraction of the uh, of the speed. And, you know, you really can't do very much with it without overloading it. Well, that's really fantastic. So, um, Tim, do you want to um, tell us a little bit about what you're working on these days, what your current project or passion is that you want to share? Well, uh, I, there's a couple of things that I'm working on that are are, are uh, pretty interesting to me. Uh, well, probably the, the biggest frame for what I'm spending a lot of my intellectual time on is really understanding uh, algorithmic economics is, is how you might describe it. it. It seems to me that companies like Google and Amazon and, and Facebook, for that matter, are, are running what you know, in popular economics literature, they call an invisible hand. You know, um, you know, we, we, we have this notion of, of uh, the market as, uh, you know, being sort of this decentralized thing where all these independent actions, you know, add up uh, to these, you know, to the wisdom of crap. You know, people, of uh, economists have got Nobel Prizes for, you know, saying, well, the market takes all, you know, available information into account. And it does this in this decentralized way, and, and that's celebrated. And it's sort of interesting because in traditional economics, this is often framed around, you know, that information is then reflect, reflected in prices. But if you think about Google search, there's no price. Everything is free. And so we have different signals than, than the kinds of things that add up to price, uh, you know, page rank, uh, anchor text, um, you know, what words are in the document, uh, even signals like uh, one that I've always loved that Google uses called the long click. You know, if somebody clicks on the first uh, link and goes away, then the first link was presumably what they were looking for. If they went, if they do a short click, they click on the first link, they go away and they come right back and click on the second link, which Google can measure because they're tracking. Uh, this you know thing that everybody says, well, surveillance capitalism, and I go, well, you know, it's we got to figure out some balance there. But man, there's some amazing intelligence that's happening where they're able to say, no, no, people actually prefer the second link, so let's promote it to the first link. Um, you know, that's a pretty powerful signal for that. But anyway, but back back to this this idea, it seems to me that there's this was this incredible advance, which I originally kind of talked a lot about when I was writing about Web 2.0 in 2005 or so, of these algorithmic collective intelligences. And one of the things that's been concerning me is that if you look at the progress of Google and Amazon over the last 10 years, they've been moving away from that. You know, Amazon used to use all these signals to say, this is the product you really want. But now when you do a search on Amazon, it's all ads. So they've kind of turned away from this great advance in collective intelligence towards back to going, well, we're going to figure out, you know, uh, 
what people you know want to pay us for. And again, I mean, they are mixing in some of the collective intelligence, but both Google and Amazon are moving away from that. And anyway, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm working with uh, Mariana Mazzucato at the Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose at University College London. I'm a visiting professor there, as well as being the, you know, um, really the, you know, uh, I'm, I'm still the CEO of O'Reilly Media, but I'm acting much more like the executive chairman. Um, and so I'm spending a lot of time on this sort of understanding the economics of the platforms, uh, how they're using their algorithms for self-preferencing. Um, you know, writing some papers about what I'm calling algorithmic rents, their ability to attract uh, excess profits. Uh, I, I'm actually writing a paper right now called uh, uh, Rising Tide Rents and Robber Baron Rents, which is about this idea that you originally get excess profits because you're an innovator and you're growing this new market, which is is really great for everybody. The market slows down, but the master algorithm of our society, which is, you know, uh, you must keep growing your corporate profits, you know, uh, kicks in and they go, wait, you know, the, the internet's not growing so fast. Uh, we can't get as much profit just by growing normally. Now we have to start turn to extractive profits. And that's what I see in, for example, in Amazon's advertising business. So I'm spending a bunch of time trying to, you know, do some historical research and, and tie that up. And it's really not, you know, this might be useful for antitrust people, but mainly I see it as useful for the CEOs of these companies, because it seems to me that out of this comes a theory of economics, which is very ecological, you know, because what you see, for example, in, in at Amazon is even if they're solving for like, yeah, we, we, we've, we've gotten these products that we're showing through ads we're, are still good products. We made sure that they're, they're, uh, highly rated and they're the best price and so on. So it's the combination. And, you know, the, the, the downside is this is a transfer of profits from the people who are selling the products to the, to the, you know, the gatekeeper. And, you know, maybe that's good, but it's, it's market shaping. You know, it means that, you know, the returns go to scale, for example, you know, like if, 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 if supplying products becomes a low margin business, uh, then you've got to get your money, your profits by being really big. And so that's why you see these multi-billion dollar Chinese companies dominating categories. They used to have more small merchants in it, in them. And so, you know, this this idea of, of if we want to have a, a market that's robust for ordinary people, you know, you can't have these algorithms that favor scale. Mm. And you and, and long term, you have to think about that. And, you know, so Google, for example, when they start saying, well, it's better for the user if we just give them the answers, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, where before maybe you had five companies trying to do the best um, site mm. for song lyrics. Now you have Google anointed one of them and, you know, said, You're, we're going to use your lyrics and we'll pay you money for it. And it'll be a five year contract. Mm. And there's no point in anybody else even bothering. Mm -hmm. yeah, so the market has been, you know, shaped by the the, the choices that they make. Do you so find the, same, the awareness of this? Do you find the same thing happening in China? Because we have a kind of a parallel system that um, would be a nice um, comparison to see whether um, the same thing happening on their platforms. Yeah. You know, long term, I would like to go there. Uh, I, I, it's hard enough to get data on the the U.S. platforms. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, because you know, disclosure is not one of the, the, the things that these companies like to do. I mean, a lot of what I've, you know, for example, even to make the case that uh, Amazon is taxing its marketplace at a, a much higher rate, you know, like it, there's a lot of inference, you know, they don't report, for example, the gross merchandise volume of their marketplace. They just report the fees that they collect, you know, and without knowing the gross merchandise volume, uh, you can't say, well, those fees going up or down. So mm -hmm. there's really very poor disclosure. And that's why I've spent a lot, of, I've written a couple of papers in the last year or co-authored uh, on, you know, why we need better disclosure from the platforms. Mm -hmm. In this case, Jeff, in one of his shareholder letters, uh, explained that uh, he was kind of bragging about how the, the third-party marketplace, how well it was doing. And so he described what percentage of their, you know, sales it was relative to the first party marketplace where mm -hmm. they sell products directly. And they went, aha, from that I can calculate uh, uh, um, uh, gross merchandise volume. And from that I can then say, well, are the fees going up? And sure enough, they used to be, you know, 23%, they're now 34% mm -hmm. of, 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 uh, of what, what merchants uh, can get. So it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because I really, I do think that we, you know, I don't think we really like the market that we have built. We like a lot of things about it. We like, you know, that we have um, lots of stuff, but is it the right stuff? Uh, and particularly as we head into an era of climate change uh, where we're going to have to actually find new uh, you know, new, new guiding principles for our economy than just, you know, the, the, the economy must grow. And if that means just, you know, buying more throwaway stuff um, at the cheapest price, uh, we're going to need to be better at this. And, and we have new tools. Anyway, so related to all of this, and I, I guess I could go on about this, I'm, I'm really fascinated by some of the advances in, in AI. I think large language models, you know, people like to go, you know, just, pile on and go, oh, they're not really intelligent. They're, you know, stochastic parrots just, you know, repeating back what they, you know, ingest. And I go, well, yeah, people are most of the time too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I, right now I'm on, on a mailing list that's discussing, you know, the, the uh, uh, Blaise Aguera Iarcas, who runs the AI group for Android research group, uh, is talking about, you know, interactions with the Lambda large uh, language model, which is, the yeah. one that that's kind of Blake Lemoyne was talking about. And it's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, and, you know, he was actually talking about, you know, uh, kind of some work they're doing on, on how you can actually train these things to have a kind of morality. You know, like basically rather than saying, oh, we've got to keep them from learning anti-Semitic slurs. No, we can teach them that those are anti-Semitic slurs and not to use them. And he, so he's just really interesting. He wrote this long medium uh, uh, post about this. And, and there's this discussion on this mailing list and it very quickly, you know, went down all the predictable stuff about all oh, these things are just stochastic parrots. And I go, you're not engaging at all with, with, with the actual argument here. And you're acting like stochastic parrots. You're all parroting back the arguments about why this stuff isn't intelligent. It's not even relevant to the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I've been looking at the, um, Image generators like you know Dolly, Midget, yeah, I know, Imogen, and one of the one of the critiques of it is well, they're just ingesting all the existing work of of other artists, 
And um, some artists might want to be removed from that because they don't want people kind of copying their style. And the response is, well, that's what human student artists do is they look yeah. at they look at thousands and thousands of images and they are trained on other people's work just yeah. like the uh, AI so so training oh, yeah, totally people. yeah we hold we hold all these AI things to a much higher standard than we yeah. hold humans well but yeah I, I saw some of your work that you did with midjourney and it, it's really quite remarkable yeah I'm trying to figure out what it means and where it's going to go um and I'm so I'm doing an article for Wired and I've been interviewing all the people who have made the uh who've made these things and um this is a spectacular case where they literally have no idea what this what their invention is going to be used for right I mean it was sort of like it's made on the way to make a more general AI and they happened to make this thing and now it's sort of coming a tool but they had they really don't know what it's going to be used for. And they're, they're as surprised as anybody in the way that people are using it. And by the way, the the most common use case I've seen of actually using these images rather than just kind of playing with them, it's exactly what I'm using them for, is for um, PowerPoint presentations. Yeah. When you're looking for an image that you want, you sort of specify and you're getting a unique image that has no copyright issues and it's yours. It's perfect. And so yeah, that's, that's, that's a great use case. And I have to say, I just, I just find that that whole area is so at the, you know, the cutting edge of the future yeah. that we got to care about it. You know, it, yeah. it's, um, you know, if you think about other technologies that have been at this inflection point, it just gets weirder and faster from here. Yeah. And, and I also think it's it's actually destabilizing to the current structure of the industry in ways that I don't think people uh, think about. You know, there's been a lot of talk, for example, about crypto and Web3 of being yeah. this is somehow going to be uh, the end of the big data era. And I don't get it. You know, what I think is the end of the big data era is going to be these large language models. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. we gave them all the data. Right. <laughs> and then now we're calling them. And, and particularly if, as we start to get, you know, there's some open source ones. Uh, uh, ones that are widely available, they're really expensive to train, but nowhere near as expensive to run as, for example, you know Google's pr prior col you know collection. And I, I thought about this a lot because of something we did at, uh, at uh, O'Reilly.com. We have this answer search engine, which is actually trained on a much earlier large language model, BERT. It's one of the very first ones, and it was trained on our content. And now we have a better search, you know, for the first time in 20 years, we can search our own content better than Google can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just worked with a small company that, that basically, you know, built, built a model of, of all the O'Reilly content on the platform. And now when, you know, you search for something, you can go right to the page, yeah. you can go right to the minute of a video. And, right, uh, right, right. and it, 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 I think it's, it's really liberating and it's right, actually right. going to be, uh, you know, I, I think if you think about, um, you know, it's a little bit like, it, it, you know, if you think about, well, what's really going to undermine Amazon's dominance? It, it's going to be Shopify, which is building a bunch of tools. It's going to be things like uh, Miso, which is the tool that we're using. Yeah. They, they're doing a lot with e-commerce. It's going to be, you know, things like Stripe. So all of a sudden, people have a lot of the capabilities that Amazon had, but just for rent, you know, right, right. quite cheaply. So, and so, they don't have to build that anymore in a big centralized way. So you, you mentioned something I think is really important, like you're that that you 
have a language model that can search your O'Reilly content better than Google can. And eventually that becomes more AI-ish. That's the thing that I kind of repeat to everybody is that they talk about AI as if it was a singular thing. And we're going to see so many AIs, plural, that there's like, you know, Midjourney is an AI that does these uh, images. And it has been trained specifically to make art-ish things rather than photorealistic. Yeah. And so that will be a domain. So it's not like there's one AI that does this. There are going to be many, many varieties. And I think we're heading into the territory where there is going to be multiple AIs and competitive advantage to having a different AI than they have. And this idea, totally right. this idea that there's the AI, the singular AI that does everything and it's this massive singularity is just unfeasible and unlikely and wrong oh yeah totally well it's also a lot like humans i mean yeah you know both of us got some basic training you know uh, we both learned the english language right. for example but then you've been been training your model on right. uh you know uh thousands of different books that i've trained right, right. my model on exactly. and, and, you know uh you know and, and you know like the, a, 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 a uh you know an experienced plumber or carpenter right. or auto mechanic has all this training that you know a brilliant nuclear physicist may right. not have you know right. <laughs> so the argument that they would make the others would make well well you have the super ai that will train on everything well that's just not engineeringly possible you can't do every everything and there's also disadvantages to trying to do everything and that's it's like trying to be it's like the swiss army knife like you can't do everything equally well you can't train on everything equally well. And so there's always trade-offs. And so the idea of having specialized things, like just for your content or a competitive advantage of doing things a little differently will always remain. And so I, I think we're going to move towards this specialization of AI rather than this idea of the universal AI. Right, and we're also we're going to be working with AI as a companion. I mean, exactly. you're using MedJourney exactly. to, you know, it's a tool. It is an amazing tool. It is. And, and, and co-creation all the way. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know, the CEO of GitHub told me, I, I don't remember what the number was. It was something like 30% of all code that's going into GitHub now is copilot. Is copilot. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Some copilot contributions. Right. Right. For the listeners, copilot is kind of a assisted AI that, that auto-completes um, code. So, um, right. and, and copilot is, this is also just kind of a really important thing to understand. GitHub copilot is an integration via API of, of the uh, OpenAI's Codex model, right? So, so uh, GitHub themselves didn't build this thing, mm -hmm. even though they're part of Microsoft. They're calling OpenAI's model, and they've just done the integration of that into to like a, a developer tool. Right. Right? So that you can actually say, give me some code to do this thing. Right. And uh, so there's gonna be a whole lot of front ends to these models right, right. Will, will go in different directions. Right. Well, we could talk about this for a long time, and um, we should, <laughs> but I just want to kind of conclude um, our cool tools part. I'm really glad that you're on the case there, Tim. I, as, as we can tell, there's a lot to be done, and um, we're just at the very beginning of even understanding what it is that we're up to. So I'm so glad you're paying attention. I hope you yeah. continue that. Thank you for All sharing right. your, your cool tools um, and especially the uh, electric chainsaw, which I have to agree 
is is really the way to go these days. Um, and all your other tools, much appreciated. Um, so thank you for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for doing this, Kevin. It's always fun. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they are also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. We give thanks to this week's patrons who include Dan Dow, Bruce Bear, Shiraz Sherwani, Ed O'Brien, Mary Esther Brooks, Dan Spakowitz, Maureen Grolnick, Pillabine, Santiago Uribe, and Kevin Sill. Thank you all for your support. <laughs>